0: So, good evening and welcome to this recording of Outsmarting Antisemitism. Unfortunately, when I gave the live class today, I failed to record the first 10 minutes. So, I'm going to redo and reenact the class here now, of course, without everybody's comments. And uh, then we'll switch over to the live recording, uh, well, I should say, of the live event. So, welcome to this course, Outsmarting Antisemitism um it's really a wonderful course and it's only a four class course which is unique to what we do in JLI and that is because a little later in the year we're going to do a special event but regardless it's a four class course but even though it's short it is very important as we shall see momentarily but first i would like to start off with um a joke and i also want to mention that i may be quoting text during text during this class they may not always be on the screen in the, in the live class uh, that's because everybody got a link to the book um to the text um for this class and uh, you can also buy the live book if you'd like just let me know so without further ado typically i i, I say my own joke but this week uh, i figured out i figured that i have a great joke from from jerry seinfeld and uh, it fits with the class uh, this, just to give you the background of the scene, this is when Jerry had come back from a dentist who had uh, converted to Judaism. And as Jerry said, because he wanted to tell Jewish jokes. So here's the scene. It's a great, uh, great little scene. So just one second. Okay. So you
1: won't believe what happened with Watley today. It got back to him that I made this little dentist joke and he got all offended. <laughs> Those people they can be so touchy. Those people.
2: Listen to yourself.
0: What you think that dentists are so different from me and you? They came to this country just like everybody else in search of a dream. Wally's from Jersey. Yes, and now he's a full fledged American. Kramer, he's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti dentite. <laughs> I am not an anti-Dentist. You're a Robin anti-Dentist. <laughs> oh, it starts with a few jokes and some slurs. Hey, Denty! <laughs> Next thing you know, you're saying they should have their own schools. They do have their own schools. <laughs> <laughs> um behind every great fisherman. One second. Okay, all right. So that's the deal. So So that's the deal. And so what I'm getting to is that we've got all these um, anti-Semitism is as old as anything. Anti-Semitism has unfortunately been around for a very long time, about as long as Jews have been around. If you look in the Bible, you can see there's anti-Semitic. Already discussions in there by Pharaoh and his and his his henchmen. So it's as old as Jewish people themselves um abraham didn't have an easy time either and so are so are anti-semitic or jokes about anti-semitism as old as anything or i should also say anti-semitic jokes just one joke i like um they tell the story of this religious couple living in rural america and as a religious jewish couple they would not drive on shabbat and the rule is if you if you need to go to the hospital it's better to call a gentile to drive you and so the wife you know this couple the wife gets in labor and the husband calls up the taxi company and says, I'd like to order a taxi to bring us, you know, I'd like to order a taxi to pick us up, but make sure the driver is not Jewish. And he repeats it a couple of times, just please make sure, whatever you do, make sure the driver is not Jewish, because he didn't want a Jewish person driving him to the hospital on the Shabbat. So uh, later on, they get picked up by the taxi. The taxi pulls up, picks them up, starts driving them, and then they hear over the dispatch radio, hey, have you picked up those anti-Semites yet? So these jokes about anti-Semitism are as old as anything. And uh, although, unfortunately, anti-Semitism is not new, I want to set the stage that this discussion is important because it's very current. Although we know that, you know, anti-Semitism has kind of waned and gone down since after World War II, we all know and feel that it's going in the up and up again, unfortunately. Just example here is an advertisement in the streets of London Normal people boycott Israel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You know, 50 years ago, that there would be such advertisements in the streets of London. Normal people boycott Israel. And so, in the past two decades, the rise of anti-Semitic incidents has been happening all over the world. It's not just Israel. It's and it's, sorry, and it's 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 you know it started in Europe that we saw it happening. And I'm just going to share some uh, screen over here. Um, here's an example. People were asked, due to anti-Semitism, would you leave England, the UK? Uh, 31% said they agree. 11% said they strongly agree. Um, and so that's that's a lot of people that are saying they'd like to leave because of anti-Semitism. Now here's another uh, interesting graph um, over here. Because of anti-Semitism, are people deciding not to wear their Judaism proudly. Twenty-two uh, percent say they agree. Sixteen percent say they strongly agree. And again, that's that's fascinating numbers that people are doing this just because of anti-Semitism. And I even hear from people here that that live here that because of anti-Semitism, they're thinking of not putting up their mezuzah or maybe not wearing kippa or hiding when they go different places. And um, it, it has an effect on our lives. And it's something that's current. And and we all know, uh, you know, tonight is the third anniversary of the Tree of Life shooting on October 27th, 2018 in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And a year later, there was an attack in um, Chabad, Chabad in California. And according to the ADL, Anti-Defamation League, in 2019, there were 2,107 anti-Semitic incidents which was a 12% increase. And as I'll show you on the screen, um, unfortunately, uh, there's been an increase in anti-Semitism. that has been going on in the US. You can see over here, 2013, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19. And so it's definitely on the rise. And um, as you can see, so what I'm setting the stage here is, that the discussion is important. Why is it important? Because it's current. Anytime something is current, we want to know what does Judaism have to say about it. Now, I'm sure you'll all read the opinion pieces and the op-eds and the articles online about what we should do about anti-Semitism and how we should do things. And so hopefully you're coming here tonight to hear a perspective, a rabbinic perspective. And as I asked the question in the live class, you know, what do you think the rabbinic perspective would be? Just think for a moment. What do you think? What would the rabbi say what to do about anti-Semitism? And uh, we'll contrast that with what you'll hear at the end of the class. Maybe it'll be the same thing, but hopefully you'll have a better understanding of it. Now, um, there's one, hopefully you've thought about that idea. And uh, now I want to get to something that's really, really important. To really set the stage of our whole discussion on anti-Semitism, and I'll start with a question, which is: Do you know anybody that was ever bullied, or know anything about bullying? Um, I was in school. When I was in school, I was bullied—not like bad bullied, but you know, I'm I'm scarred to life. But I was bullied for a little bit, uh, a couple months or whatever it was. It was an unpleasant experience. And when you think of a bully and the person being bullied, what does the bully want most? what does the bully want well most? What is the bully trying to seek? Um, or what would make the bully the most happy? Um, and the answer would be if the person that's being bullied is scared. You know, bullying is, okay, I'm not getting into every case of bullying, but in many cases, you know, it, it's, it's a cruelty and the, the, the person is bullying for whatever reason thinks the person that's bullied needs to feel the pain or whatever it is. And uh, if the bully sees that the person that's being bullied is fearful, that then then the bully wins you know the 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 bully is very very happy um because they've gotten what they wanted you know and even if they're not attacking the person that they want to bully, that person that's bullied is is always scared and so that they want nothing more than that and so when we think of anti-semitism we have to think of the cost of living with anxiety of anti-semitism if we sit all the time and think of our anxiety about what might happen and what could happen and what anti-Semitic attacks might happen, then the anti-Semites have won because anxiety about anti-Semitism will eat us up. Let's take a look at text number two, and I'm gonna share that on the screen over here. Text number two. Um, And this is a quote from, the Talmud. And then the Talmud is quoting a person called Ben Sirah. And it says like this, it is stated in the book of Ben Sirah, do not allow anxiety into your heart for anxiety has killed the mighty King Solomon said, if there's anxiety in your heart, quash it. When you're overly anxious about a situation, our minds go into overdrive and we constantly focus on what might happen. And those thoughts drag us down, make us feel dejected make us feel weak, unable to respond properly. And we look at everything as a potential threat. And this is definitely not the route we want to take with anti-Semitism. First of all, if if we're always worried about the next attack, we're going to be frozen about what we can do, A. And B, we might focus on any little thing. We might attack any little thing we might think is anti-Semitism and we will not address the proper issues wisely and effectively. But more importantly... Living with fear means that the anti-Samit has won, because that's what they want. They want nothing more than we should be living in fear. And so, and, and ultimately fear destroys the victim and makes the perpetrator happy. And, and why would we want to live in that, in that kind of mode? And so the first step is really we have to understand that when we, when we discuss anti-Semitism, we don't want to focus, we don't want to excessively focus on the problem and always talk about, you know, the terrible things that are going on in the world because that's living with the anxiety about anti-Semitism and that's not going to help us lead a productive life. More importantly, it's not going to help us lead a religious productive life. And to here, I'm going to turn to Deborah Lipstadt. Deborah Lipstadt was appointed by the president to lead uh, the anti uh, anti anti Semitism division, whatever it is something about anti Semitism. She's some czar, the government helps with anti Semitism. She's a professor at Emory University. She was born in 1947. Uh, she wrote books called Denying the Holocaust, History on Trial, the Eichmann Trial, and Anti Semitism Here and Now. And so she's well-versed in anti-Semitism, and she devotes her life to anti-Semitism. Yet nevertheless, Devorah Lipstadt who has devoted her life to studying anti-Semitism, she says, if we are to define Judaism as fighting anti-Semitism, that's going to be a problem. That's, that's a real problem. But what's fascinating is how many Jews actually identify Judaism with making sure anti-Semitism doesn't happen. And if you don't believe me, here's a fascinating Pew study that was done in 2020. And it says like this, they went around and they took a um, survey asking people what's essential to being Jewish. And 76% say remembering the Holocaust is essential to being Jewish. 72% say leading an ethical and moral life. 59% say working for justice and equality. 56% being intellectually curious, 51, continuing family traditions, 45% caring about Israel, 34, having a good sense of humor, 33, being a part of the Jewish community, 20, eating traditional Jewish foods, 15, observing Jewish law. So the vast majority of Jews identify Judaism, first and foremost, with remembering the Holocaust and everything else follows afterwards. And you don't even get to Jewish uh, practice until much farther down on the list. Now, you know, number two is leading an ethical and moral life. You know that's great, obviously, but number one is remembering the Holocaust. So for many Jews, their Judaism is defined by remembering the Holocaust. Now let's see what Deborah Lipstadt said. She says like this: She brings a story of someone that she knows. Sorry about that. Don't worry. Um, she tells a story about about somebody that she knows. Mm-hmm. That it's it's in uh, it's in it's on page number nine, text one A. That basically said, you know, I, I didn't give my children Jewish tradition, but I'm so glad that they know, you know, if there's an anti semite they know what to do, right? They know what to do. And I, I can, I'll tell you, I meet Jews in this area, too, that feel the same. So, Rabbi, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, anti-Semites, and I punched them, da, 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 but they don't do anything today for the Judaism other than, and again, not judging them, and, but, but if, if, you know, it's great to teach your kids to stand up for Judaism, and we need that, but if there's nothing else to it, it's not going to continue. It will stay with you and you'll be a Jew till the day you die, but it will not continue. And so, really, I'm setting the stage that this course is not a rallying call to direct our entire Jewishness to fight against anti Semitism, as some people may think, right? It's, it's called, of course, it's about anti Semitism. So, the course is not going to be that we all have to rally and direct our entire Jew- Jewishness to fighting anti Semitism. Rather, this course will come to address some very real questions about Jewish hatred and what we can do about it while not making it our real identity. So again, so far we've set the stage today. A, is we've said, anti-Semitism is an important discussion to be talked about because it's current. B, as we said, we can't live with making our Jewishness all about antisemitism. First of all, it makes antisemites win because they would want nothing more than us living with anxiety. And number two, if our whole Jewish, uh, if what makes us Jewish is that we've been persecuted and fighting the persecution, then there's nothing to Judaism itself. And that's not something that's going to continue. So now we're leading into the question. So what do we actually do? There is is anti-Semitism around. We don't want to live that as our identity. So what are we actually going to do? And we're going to get to um, two big ideas tonight. One is we're going to discuss three meditations to help you have less fear about anti-Semitism. And number two, uh, we're going to discuss practically things that we can do um, to deal with anti-Semitism. Um, let me just run through a couple slides of it here so that you can see what's going on. So let me share the screen uh, as we go over all these items. Share. And so let's take a look. Here you have anti-Semitic incidents uh, in the US from 2013 to 2019 um they've just been going up as you can see so obviously this is a very relevant topic um let's uh unconstructive worry um the other thing i forgot to mention is if you live with anxiety um when you're in an anxious place you cannot deal with the issue so if we walk around anxious all the time we'll be able to deal with it that's what uh, really, people in law enforcement, they learn how to have nerves of steel or the army. That's that's the most important thing. When people go out to the army, as the soldiers, they march and they dance and they sing and they have bands and everything because you have to be uh, excited. Um, so, and here, as the word looks, I put it, the problem that we have for many Jews, what is done to the Jews is far more significant than what Jews do. So that's so a powerful we're line. we
2: talking about what the good Jews are doing, the ones who are helping Wow. Well,
0: we're all good Jews. We just can do no. more, right?
2: In the public eye.
0: Right. All right. So we'll get to, we'll get to solutions a little later. Yes. Um, and this is a great line from Barry Weiss. Uh, the Jewish people were not put on earth to be anti, anti-Semites. It's a good line. We're not put on earth to be anti-antisemites. anti We're put on earth to be Jews. And so now we're going to get to three meditations that will help us deal with the anxiety before we get to some practical considerations. And these three meditations will be the miraculous people considering the full picture. And I fear not because you are with me. So let's move along over here. Okay. The first thing we're going to discuss, the first meditation we have tonight to help us deal with our anxiety. So again, the anxiety comes from the fact we feel anti-Semitism is closing in on us. I've heard from so many people, uh, you know, the world is worse than it's ever been today. And, and you know, we, we thought with Israel, we, we'd get out of anti-Semitism. It's not only getting worse. And, and Iran and this, and, and you can point the whole bunch of things or the, the right politicians in or the wrong politicians in. Everybody has reasons to talk about doomsday. And so the first thing we have to understand is been here and done that, okay? The Jewish people are miraculous people. If you uh, get the student book, you'll see in the back, there's a bunch of quotes from many, many great historians all about the miraculousness of the Jew. Uh, Mark Twain famously wrote about it. And so really, um, the, the, the the biggest thing telling us that we'll be okay is the fact that we're here. Let's read text number three it's on page 14. The fact that we're here is such a historical anomaly, it makes no sense. So sometimes when I'm asked about anti-Semitism, people will say, well, how can you be optimistic in all of this? How can you see the positive? It's such a dreary situation. And I say, because we shouldn't be here. And the fact that we are here shouldn't be taken for granted. So when we consider the whole history, and the fact that the Jewish nation has not only survived, but thrived, and we've thrived the biggest thing is outside of our country. In other words, it's one thing, right? There's certain nations that have survived, but they've never left their country and they've stayed there. And even then they've changed over time. You know, a great example of this is, can you imagine Julius Caesar, the great Julius Caesar? He comes back to Rome today. He wouldn't recognize any of it. He'd be like, what's this pizza thing, right? He, he wouldn't recognize, but then he'd suddenly see a Jew walk around and suddenly said, ah, oh, you, ah. Uh- Baruch Hashem, I recognize you. Now let me persecute you, right? No, okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really the anomaly of the Jewish people that we have survived when they have tried to get rid of us so many times. In fact, Maimonides has a very famous letter that he wrote in 1168. So again, going back 900 years ago, the Jews of Yemen were being persecuted. There was a fanatical Muslim cleric who decreed that the Jewish subjects have to convert to Islam. There was even a Jew who had converted to Islam, was going around trying to convince them all. And on top of all that, there was another Jew going around saying he was the Messiah. So the Jews were all confused. They didn't know what to do. What are we supposed to do? Like we feel, they felt the world was crashing in on them. It's, fall, it's, you know, the walls are falling. It's all, and Maimonides says words that we should live with till today. And this is text number 15. God assured our father Jacob early on that although the nations would enslave his descendants treat them cruelly and subjugate them his and subjugate them his children would survive and endure whereas those who enslave them would eventually disappear god told him your descendants will be like the dust of the earth although they are destined to be trampled and downtrodden as everyone tramples the dust of the earth they will overcome and triumph in the end just as, to continue the analogy, the dust eventually rises over those who trample upon it when their corpses are buried, so Israel will remain in existence, whereas those who have upon her will not. The Creator similarly assured us through His prophets that we will never be destroyed, that He will never permit our annihilation, and that we will never stray from being a nation devoted to its purpose. Just as it is impossible for God's own existence to be nullified, so is it impossible that we should be destroyed and eliminated from the world. So spoke Malachi, I am God and I have not changed and you, the children of Jacob, have not been destroyed. And so those are powerful words by Maimonides and they have stood. And others, what he's saying is nothing's changed and nothing will change. We've been promised we'll be persecuted and we promise we'll come out over the, over top. If that was true in Maimonides' days, 900 years later, where we lived through so much more persecution, is it not more true today? Isn't it obvious that no matter what they're going to do with us, it's not going to be the end? We're not facing a doomsday. You know, today it's a big thing. Predict a doomsday, right? It's like, it's like, uh, doomsday is going to be October 1st, 2021. Doomsday is going to be, um, you know, it's going to happen on this day. And that day. everybody has a date. Um, but we as Jews know that uh, we're going to be around. The miraculous survival of Jewish people is going to stay here forever. Yes, all right we'll deal with that in a moment yes so uh, this meditation this meditation right right this meditation is not saying that nobody's going to die again from anti-semitism this meditation is just saying right it's just is just taking away from the doomsday sayers right from the doomsday sayers uh and it also tells us that even when we've been trampled upon god was there that's another thing it tells us in other words even when we've suffered the worst persecutions God was there. How do we know? Because he's made sure we've survived as a nation. In fact, God says so in the Torah himself. God says, I will destroy you, but not all of you. I will scatter you around so that there will always be a remnant. So we see clearly the hand of God in all of this. Now, we don't understand why God does some of the suffering to us. And that's been a discussion of other JLI courses and not for now. Um, But for now, this is what we understand. So this is meditation number one. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, anybody has a comment? Steve, yes, you got to unmute yourself.
1: Okay. Uh, uh, this is Steve Rayo. Yeah, 30,
0: yes, 30 seconds.
1: Okay, there, it won't take that long. The idea of us being an eternal nation is also reiterated when God says I, to Abraham, I will bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee and through thee, all the nations of the world will be blessed." Uh, that statement alludes to an eternal nation. Also, uh, when those that come against us have disappeared, like the Nazi nation, the, the Bolsheviks, uh, the, these nations have, the, 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 even in modern times, have disappeared. Ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, as you mentioned, ancient Rome, gone. Uh, yes, yes. And we are here. So this must be made educational to our children. We are an eternal nation, the yes, only guaranteed so, eternal nation in God's yes, creation. So,
0: yes, you are. You are correct, Steve. Um, however, I, um, I will add that we do give this education to our children. Um, if anybody sits at the Passover Seder, one of the things we say, Amda sh'amda, lavoteinu v'lanu, right? That's the v'hi sh'amda, That's what that song is about. This is what has stood for us for thousands of years, that not one has tried to destroy us and God saves us. That's, and, and the Passover is the prototype of our Jewish education. So yes, very good point. And we should teach it to our children. We do teach it to our children. And God willing, we will be, we will be around a very, very long time. So I'm going to wrap up there with meditation number one. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to move on to meditation number two. And this is considering the full picture. Okay. A lot of the doomsday sayers point, and I'm going to go through this one quickly. You can either agree with this or argue with it or because this, this one is not really a spiritual point. This one is more of a, a physical point. In other words, just looking at the facts. And again, facts can always be argued. So I'm not going to debate this point. Again, point number two is not what I'm going to debate. I'm just going to say it, take it or leave it. And that is that historically page, but this is going to be on page number 18. Historically, um, anti-Semitism has been institutional. That means it's been sanctioned by the governments. Okay, pogroms in Russia, pogroms in Poland, Germany, uh, Rome, Spain. However, the anti-Semitism that we have been facing for the most part today is not institutionalized. It's not by the government, and so although we have many anti-Semites, the actual power of what they want to do is much less than has ever been in the past. And so, what I'm really getting to is when we actually think about it, anti-Semitism today is much better than it has been in the past. Not only that, not so. This is point number one. But you say, okay, Rabbi, you're right. But still, from twenty from. uh, uh, twenty uh, from nineteen seventy to twenty twenty, it's worse. Let me add another point. Uh, and again, you, whether you agree or not, um, actual anti-Semitism officially is go, is on the, is, is going down. Actual anti-Semitism is going down. What's happening is anti-Semites are becoming more vocal, but actual anti-Semitism is going down. This is according to the data from the ADL. Um, the ADL since nineteen sixty four has attempted to measure anti-Semitic attitudes amongst the American population. And you can see in figure number 18 uh, questions that they ask people to figure out if they have anti-Semitic attitudes. And um, what they've actually found is that anti-Semitic attitudes are less today than they have ever been. And uh, let me just share it with you this on the screen, if, if they put it on the screen. Um, so we had the miraculous people. Okay, there, we'll skip that. So what's saying is there's anti-Semitic incidents, but anti-Semitic attitudes are actually lower today than they have been in the past. Huh? That's good, I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know because we have all this noise on Twitter and all this noise on Facebook. And unfortunately, there's been more physical attacks. I'm not, I'm not denying that the actual anti-Semitic incidents are higher and we can blame social media and the connections that anti-Semitic cells can have. but actual. Anti-Semitic attitudes are on the down and down. Okay. So that's 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 a uh, that's a good thing to note. And a lot of people don't know that. But uh just again, this is I'm not gonna debate this this idea, but this is uh point number two. Uh so again, point number one was um our understanding that we are a miraculous nation. So although you know, we can have doom face hairs, but you know, we've been around for a while, it tells us God is with us and will be around forever. Okay, in the meantime, maybe some people will suffer. Number two, practically, anti-Semitism is is less today than it has been for two reasons. One is that uh, it's not institutionalized on a whole. Yes, obviously the UN says things and not everybody in the government says the best things, but there's not very much institutionalized anti-Semitism. And number two, actual anti-Semites are on the down and down. Um, The third point we're going to discuss, and the third meditation is um and i'll take questions after the third meditation In the third meditation we'll start with a question you should put it in uh someone um you can put it in the chat but uh let me see what you think or if you're here in person what is the most oft repeated phrase in the torah the most oft repeated phrase in the torah the one that is repeated most often right you say i am god or something like that right What's the most repeated two-word phrase in the Torah? <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. Now, not in the Torah. Uh, what's the most repeated phrase in the Torah? Anybody wants to put in the chat? Uh, it surprised me, actually. I was surprised when I saw this. I was preparing the class.
1: Uh, Moshe.
0: Lay, Moshe. Yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Laymore, right? Uh, and it was said, hinani Okay. Uh, a two-word phrase. A two word phrase, and the answer is Al Tira. Al Tira, do not fear. Al Tira, do not fear. You have it a lot in Deuteronomy. In fact, this phrase appears in the Bible 44 times. And if you add the times it appears in the plural, you can add another 26 times. Or if you include more variations of it, it appears up to 110 times within the Bible. Do not fear. That's a very, very interesting that the Torah would repeat the words, do not fear so many times,
2: 110
0: times. The ultimate number is 110 times. Yeah, it's fascinating. 100, I never realized that. I mean, once I heard it, I remembered, oh yeah, all over Deuteronomy, it says it, but even in Genesis, it says Altira many times. And why, why does the Torah say Altira so many times? And the answer is that it's trying to instill with us the understanding Torah is very practical. It knows life is not easy. Life is full of trouble. Okay, God is not, uh, God doesn't live in a bubble. He runs this world, right? And so God says, Al-Tira. I know life is very difficult, but I know that I can tell you, al tira, do not fear because I am always in control of what's going on. And, and, and King David said this most eloquently in Psalm 23. And you could look at text number six on page 21 from Psalm 23. What is God saying? Sorry, King David saying. A song of David, God is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me, he allows me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And here's the most important line. Even if I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no even if you are with me, you're rotting your staff, they will comfort me. Mm-hmm. So God is, so King David is saying, God is my shepherd. And a shepherd takes care of their flock. That's what a real shepherd is supposed to do, right? If you just lock them up in a pen, you don't need a shepherd. A shepherd is supposed to take care of their flock. And so David said, God is my shepherd. He takes care of me. And, but King David wasn't um, somebody that lived in, uh, you know, out of this world. He lived in this world and he suffered a lot. He suffered a lot throughout his lifetime. And yet he could say that even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, in other words, even though I know that life may be hard sometimes, I have trust in God. And in fact, that line was quoted by Nathan Sharansky. Nathan Sharansky was a famous refusenik, huh? No, Nathan Sharansky was a a Jew who lived in Russia. He was born in 1940-something, I think. And uh, he he lives in Israel today. He was what was called a refusenik. He asked to leave Russia in 1954. No, so he must have been, I forget the years exactly. And uh, it was denied. And for many years, he he, uh, refused to leave Russia. Sorry, he didn't refuse to leave Russia. The Russian government didn't let him leave. They uh, accused him of treason or whatnot, and they locked him up in jail. And in jail, he had only one book, and that was the book of Psalms. And he didn't really understand Hebrew, but the only line that he understood from that book was this line, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will be on if you are with me. And um, he said that this, this little book of Psalms gave him hope. Until today, he walks around with him. Today, he's had a big organization in Israel. It was very big news. Uh, Russia made a prisoner swap with Israel and brought him to, brought him to Israel. So that was uh, Nathan Sharansky, those who heard of him. Uh, And so, again, he took that message the same. He didn't say, I'm not in prison. I'm going to, you know, the heck with the, you know, the heck with it. He said, I'm in prison, but I know God is there with me. And so that is the idea is we know God is there with us in every single moment. And if you look at uh, text number seven, this is what uh, we say in the Havdalah. We say, indeed, God is my deliverance. I am confident that I shall fear not, for God is my strength and my praise. He has been my salvation. And so David trusted that the God who loved him always would always be there with him through thick and thin. When he said, your rod and your staff, they will come for me. You know, the rod and the staff are usually, you know, what you use to hit. And so what he was saying was, whatever is happening in my life, the troubles will not bother me because... I know God is with me. And if you want to know what I'm trying to say, think about it like this. Anybody here have been through a troubled incident in their life? Knowing that someone else is there for you or with you, a friend, a spouse, mm-hmm. that alone gives you comfort, mm-hmm. gives you the strength. They don't necessarily change the situation, but just the fact that they are there changes it all. And that's one of the greatest things is once we have God, we're never alone. We're never alone in this dark. And scary world the very fact that you're with someone gives you strength and hope and so david was relieved by knowing that god would simply be, be there with him and so similarly i think too often when we get too worried we're pushing god out of the equation again there's no promises here at least in this course maybe other courses there's no promises right now that uh things are going to be great and rosy and dandy and nothing's going to be wrong but we know we know that God is always there with us and we're not alone and we're not trying to fight this by ourselves. And as our sages say somewhere else, <speaking in Hebrew> it's not up to you to finish the work, <speaking in Hebrew> but you are not exempt from doing the work. In other words, whatever's going to happen in the world, it's God's business. He has this big ultimate plan. But I know that whatever's going on is, is, is what, what is best and God has a plan for me. And we don't always understand don't it. In fact, I don't know.
2: I don't want to get into it. Okay. don't agree. We don't agree on. The, I on the, I, right. Yes, if you align your life with God's will, then it will be His will in the world. But many people don't align their lives with. All the right.
0: Yeah, I think we've had this discussion yeah, before, so we have to agree different. to disagree, right? right. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So one second, uh, Captain Steve, I'll take your question. One moment. Let me just recap. So we have three. Uh, oh, so sorry. Let me just read the last two texts over here. Text number eight and nine before we get to the final practical section of this, of, of today's class. Text number eight says, whenever Jews are persecuted, the godly presence is, so to speak, persecuted along with them as it is stated in all of their pain, he is pain. So that means God is there with us. He's there with us as we suffer what we are suffering. And finally, text number nine, those who trust in God will be surrounded by benevolence. So what this adds is not only does knowing that God's there and trusting in him and believing in him ease your pain, but also it allows you to, uh, it also allows you to bring more blessing in your life. When you have trust and faith in God, um, it will allow you to to live a little more safe and secure. And if anybody wants to stick around at the end of the class, I have a bonus. Uh, there's three stories of video, three stories of people who are going through rough periods in their life and uh, how through faith and hope, uh, things were able, although not what they wanted happened, but everything turned out uh, for the better. So that, again, that's going to be at the end of the class for those who want to stick on at the end. Uh, But what I do want to say is, um, again, we have, I discussed this topic a little bit more in the course called wrestling with faith and what it means that God is there with us in every single moment. Let me, um, just put it to you. Like, let me just say one more thing. Uh, we need to recap the three meditations before we move on, I'm sorry, This, uh, this uh, doing Zoom and in-person, it causes me a little bit of, I'm just trying to do something. Just give me one second here. Okay. All right. So let's just recap what we said. All right. I fear not. What do I do? Okay. Fear not, because you're with me. Altira—that's the most often it appears in the Bible, 110 times. Uh, we're going to skip that. Okay, so we have the miraculous people. That's the reason number one. That—that's re- meditation number one to deal with our fear. Meditation number two is considering the full picture. It's not as bad as it sounds. And number three, I fear not, because you're with me. Um, but now we have to get to the solution, and I'm going to take some questions at this point. First of all, anybody in person has any questions? No, okay. Uh, yes, Steve, you're waiting very patiently.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But again, thirty seconds because I do have to get I, to all the I didn't points. hear
1: what you asked me. What? Uh,
0: I, I said you've been waiting very patiently. Yeah, Yes. Time. Oh, okay.
1: Um, the phrase that comes to mind is that God defines us as His witnesses, two things, and His servants, and It's one thing to be a servant, but I think some of us fall down on being a witness. The way that you dress, for instance, is a witness, like a priest in the street. People know he's a Catholic uh, or a nun, particularly. Uh, When you walk on the street, people know who you are. I am a witness. I named my boat such a name because I was moved to do, do so. Shemayan. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. So in our, in our but in our, uh, from our discussion. So the... how,
1: how do we become better witnesses and stop hiding who we are?
0: All right. So for that, we will address that in the next section. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Any other questions? No? Well, it's not a question. It's just a
2: statement that okay, I agree that we should not fear, but when, not me, I'm not talking about me now, but when people, many Jews, are exposed to extreme, extreme, extreme evil over many, many, many years, a lot of them didn't feel the presence of God. And so um, they didn't feel that uh, you know, yeah i think particularly
0: my family you know. and, um uh, it, it depends um it depends listen uh, we don't i don't judge anybody who went through a difficult period of time so the question is when people went through extreme evil they didn't feel god if you I look at the them, right if you if you look at the holocaust you had two reactions some suddenly felt god more and some felt god less and i i can't judge anybody who felt god more i want to meet during the holocaust i have read many many diaries I have read many, many diaries of the Holocaust. Yes, yes. Jews who, who uh, were not religious at all, at the end, when they felt they were being killed for being Jewish, they felt the presence of God. They would say the Shema and whatnot um, in those last moments. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody felt that way. Look, many people came out of the Holocaust less religious. Many people came out more religious. My grandfather happened to come out of you know, Auschwitz and whatnot and stayed religious, but many didn't right? Um, there's a famous talk by a Holocaust survivor who's alive till today, uh, and his, his talk is called, where, and he talks about people asking where was God during the Holocaust, and his answer is God was with me. In other mm-hmm. words, he's saying, you know, I can't, I can't speak for everybody else, but what he I felt mean? God's presence. All the miracles that he experienced, despite his suffering during the Holocaust and losing much of his family, uh, the only explanation he could say to his survival was God was with him. Right. Okay, okay. Now let's get to actual practical. All right, so now we've dealt with mindset. We've dealt with mindset. Living with anxiety is not healthy. We gave a couple of meditations. But what are we supposed to do? There's actual bad things going on. So we're not going to be afraid. So what, we're all just going to sit in the synagogue and just hope, hope for the best. What are we supposed to do? And this final point of the class actually has practical relevance, not just to the topic of anti-Semitism, but it actually has to do with uh, general life. Okay, again, so this final thing we're going to deal with, how do we actually deal with anti-Semitism, is not limited actually to anti-Semitism, but all parts of our life. There's a cliche statement called, God helps those who help themselves, right? God helps those who help themselves. But we have to think about that statement. What does that actually mean? In other words, who's the, who's in control? Is, is Am I doing it? Is God doing it? And using the words God and human action in the same sentence, we can sometimes get confused. And in fact, many of us do in our lives, we get confused. Uh, When we work, we make money. Is that my money? Is it God's money? Who's making the money? When I plant seeds and it grows, is that nature? Is it God? And uh, of course you can say nature is God. And so to answer that question, we're going to turn to the famous story of Esther. Esther in Persia right? We know Haman wanted to murder. This is going to be on page 25. Haman wanted to murder all the Jewish people in one day. And Esther was the queen. The king did not show, did not know that she was Jewish. And uh, she was going to go plead for the Jewish people. She was going to come to the king, reveal to him, yeah, risk her life. Why was it risking her life? Because if you were not called to go to the king, you were not allowed to go. So unless the king would say, okay. So she was going to risk her life, go to the king and, and so to speak, try and charm him, right? So dress all pretty, try to charm him and get get into a conversation. But the most fascinating thing is if you look in text number 10, what preparations did Esther do before she went to the king? I'm sure she dressed pretty, but it says she fasted for three days. Now fasting for three days, and again, I'm not going to read the text, but you can see in text number 10. Now fasting for three days is not a great way to curry charm by the king. I mean, can you imagine... Uh, you know, no, nobody wants to talk to you on Yom Kippur, right? So imagine you had a big business deal and the day you're going to go to, to negotiate is going to be a Yom Kippur. I mean, who's not cranky, you know, especially you've been, you've been fasting all day. You've been hearing the rabbi sing, uh, it's is a it great one cranky day. So if Esther was, you know, if we be, fully believe in this adage that God helps those who help themselves, Esther should have said, let me make sure I'm well fed. Well, Maybe she was into today's diets. I don't know. Well, she, but she was trying to do something physical, right? She was taking a physical, words, she didn't say, I'm going to fast for three days and let God take care of it. She said, I'm going to the King to plead for my people. So in other words, there's some people who say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to pray. That's one, that's one approach. Some people say, I'm going to follow. I'm going to take all the, whatever needs to be done in the physical world, make sure it happens. And Esther seems to be doing a kind of a hybrid between those two. On the one hand, she's gonna to go to actually go to the king, try and charm him. At the same time, she's fasting for three days. Now, if she's if she believes it fully in the adage, God helps those who help themselves, she should have not fasted. She should have made sure she could be as pretty as possible. Don't get unpretty in a couple of days. I don't know. Have you ever have you ever met me on uh you ever met I've met many Jews in Yom Kippur. They get very cranky. That's why we do the Yom Kippur appeal in the beginning before they get very cranky, you know? Either that or next time I should put the, I should put the appeal cards on top of the bagels. You don't get a bagel till you pull out the card. You know, that might get something too. But. So Hasidic philosophy explains how all of this works. Um, you know, so again, there are different realities that we can live in. You can live in so to speak, the desert reality, the Jews in the desert, where everything was miraculous. your clothing was laundered by clouds of glory. the food came from heaven in such a case it's very clear that you pray to God and the food comes you don't need to help yourself it comes to you it comes to your doorstep, you pray to God, it comes to you we can be uh but then seemingly when the Jews came to Israel, everything changed. you had to plant you had to you had to plow if you don't work, you don't get anything right Our reality seems that You can say, oh, God gives us the raw material and he provides us with the brains and the resources and favorable circumstances. God gives the investment, so to speak, and we have to do the work. That's how some people look at it. Some people look at it and say, God gives me the brains. God gives me the ability to do things, but I actually have to go out and do it, right? So, So many people think it's, so to speak, a balance of God's doing and our own doing. God starts it and we close it out. But in reality, Hasidic philosophy says that it's all godly and all steps of the way are godly. In other words, everything is coming from God, but human beings have to do something to make it happen. And that's how our reality is different than what happened in the desert. In the desert, it was literally and entirely miraculous. However, In our days, we have to give God a place to hide. I'm going to repeat that. Today, we have to give God a place to hide. So according to Hasidic philosophy today, God does not want to give us in a miraculous way, generally. Generally, he wants it to come in nature. So we work, but why are we working? We're we're working so that God's blessing could come in that work. Notice it's not that God gave me the brains and God gave me the strength. You know, I woke up in the morning strong enough and now I can go work and make money. I make the money. No, when you make the money, you're just creating a garment within which God can hide. And, you know, sometimes we see this in our lives. it ever happens, you're working really difficult in one, you're working on one business venture and the money comes from another area, right? So that was just a way for God to hide. You have to do your work, but the blessing comes from God. And so that's really the explanation of the paradox is we're actually creating a space for God to hide.
2: Why to hide? It's only to acknowledge. Why to... We
0: know the truth, but we have to give God a place to hide. Imagine it like this. Um, it says, uh, imagine like this. You take, a, you, take a, you take a seed, plant it in the ground, and it grows. And you say, that's awesome. God gave me a tree. I took the seed, I put it in the ground, and it grows. Um, I water it, I fertilize it that's really, we create a natural means through which God can bring the blessing. I'm just using the word hide. You can use whatever word you want. Okay. But the idea, I'm gonna use the word hide though because I think it really describes it very interestingly. So we have to do something natural to give God a place to give it to us in a natural way. God does not wanna give us blessings generally in an unnatural way. He did it in the desert 40 years. He doesn't wanna continue doing that. When we came to the land of Israel, he said, no, I want you to work on the land in a natural way. And so, is it a partnership with God? It is a partnership with God, but it's not a partnership in the sense that God gives us the raw materials and we create something. It's actually a partnership in the sense that God needs us to create an environment in which he does everything. So, what we're really changing today is God is doing everything. It's not that God gives me the wherewithal to do what I need to do. God has giving me everything. Now, you might say, Rabbi, you're splitting hairs over here. What's the difference? And the difference is really how much spiritual action do we need coupled with our physical action? I'm going to repeat that. The difference is how much spiritual action do we need coupled with our physical action? So if God just gives us the raw material and then we make the magic happen, well, I don't necessarily need a lot of spirituality to go along with that, right? But if we understand that then we definitely need spirituality the entire way. So for example, we hire a security guard outside to to protect us. That's not that God gave us the brains to understand that we hire the security guard, but the the security guard is the means through which God's blessing is coming through. And that means that at the same time that we have a security guard out there, we have to pray for our security because we ultimately understand that our security is not coming from the guy with a gun standing out there protecting us. The security at this moment in time is right now coming from God. Just one second. And so that's, and this is really the balance of life. It's the balance of work. It's the balance of security. It's the balance of how we deal with anti Semitism. Anytime we do any physical action to better our lives, right? The line, God helps those who help themselves. It is not that uh, God, so to speak, leaves it up to us. He gave us the raw materials and we have to do the work. It is that God said, I want to bless you, but I'm going to only bless you when you do physical work to get to it and we're going to read text number 11 and then i'll take questions text number 11 is very very long um does everybody there in the zoom have the text by the way no you don't i mean it's, i put it in the chat you don't you didn't see it in the chat i could i could attach in the chat again click on the link this is a very long text i mean if if people really really don't have it i could i could uh really share it on the screen. So just give me a second here. I'll share it on the screen. Just this text because it's really, really long. Um, So it's going to be text number 11, which is on page 28. Page 28. So one second here. Page, Page 28. Yeah, there's the English translation. It's Hebrew and English. Okay. So one second. Set this up. All right. Share the screen and boom. Okay. There we are. Okay. Everything that comes into being in this material world must materialize through natural means. Nature, however, is simply a garment. The word garment's important, by the way. It's just like a garment, right? If somebody's, right, a garment, right, Hide, right, I'm hiding in the garment, right? If uh, if I wanted to go to a business meeting, I wanted to impress, and I sent just my clothing would be very impressive. Similarly, if I if I just sent myself without my clothing would be impressive, right? I need to send myself with my clothing. Okay, it's simply a garment. Meaning, God's energy brings things into existence. Meaning, God's energy bringing bringing things into existence must be dressed, concealed, and obscured to the point that an observer sees only a world that appears to run naturally. In truth, however, everything emerges directly from God himself. He obscures the divine bestowals until the miraculous and supernatural reality of material existence is not observable and material developments seem perfectly natural. When, for example, God provides an individual with ample livelihood, it is not done through a miracle as it was done in the Sinai Desert when God raised the manna and meat from the skies, Rather, God sends the blessing through the individual's business affairs. The gains reaped through commerce appear so natural that the individual can be fooled into thinking along the lines of, it is my strength that generated this wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 17. And it is my wisdom that led me to my success. Ecclesiastes 2, 9. For I'm well-versed in commerce. I know what to buy and the most prudent times to sell. This arrangement works as long as we prepare a valid garment through which the divine flow of sustenance can descend into material reality. Our occupation must be proportionate so that according to the rules of nature, the sum required for our livelihood could be theoretically be gained by such an occupation. If this requirement is met, our occupation serves as the perfect garment in which God can disguise his blessing, for we can easily claim, I acquired this wealth through my own skills because it is indeed considered natural for such an occupation to yield that range of profit. Since such an assertion is logically sound, our occupation is an, ap- is an appropriate conduit for God's kindness. Accordingly, while we work, we should be mindful of our belief that our earnings are God's blessing. They are like an, any other open miracle, like the miracle of our mana. Our actions merely weave a garment behind which God can disguise his blessing. One should apply the same concept to all other areas of our life. Pursue your needs in accordance with your understanding with the intention of forging an appropriate garment through which God will send his blessing. God will then act as he sees fit, providing the truest form of good that is appropriate for you. By the way, I read that really slowly in my, uh, for generally for how I read. So if I was too quick, I'm getting better, okay? Um, but again, the most important part about this is what that this tells us is, is that our spiritual pursuits for security safety and security let's say talking about security against anti-semitism our spiritual pursuits are not secondary and in a way they are primary now again going back to the example of clothing and body right you send the clothing without the body it doesn't really work you send the body without the clothing it doesn't really work but what's the primary in the clothing and the body is the body the person that's there Similarly, when we pay the guard outside, what's really protecting us is the prayers and the Tehillim and the mitzvahs that we've done. That's what's really protecting us. That's the body of the protection. But we had to pay a guard out there so that God's blessing can come through a natural means. Because God says, if you don't put something out there, I'm not going to do anything. The famous, you know, you put up a mezuzah, but you fail to lock your door. God says, well, you didn't lock your door. <laughs> Whatever, you know, what can I, you know, and so somebody prays and stands in the middle of U.S. 19. Meshuganar, right but that doesn't really work but at the same time we have to remember when we lock our door what's really protecting our door is the mezuzah not the door but if we don't lock the door god has nothing natural to send us the blessing and god doesn't want to do miracles right now god is in a mode where he generally does not want to do miracles and so if you don't have natural means for with with which for him to work in he's not going to do it because he, that's not what he wants to do but this brings us just one thing this really brings us to the most important idea we have to remember what is really protecting us this is changing our perspective this, this is what i spoke about earlier in the class you know i asked what do you think the rabbi is going to tell you about the anti-semitism be proud jews and do more mitzvahs do, do more torah why is it always the rabbi's response you know for a while it bothered me you know every time a terrible happening the rabbis is let's go pray let's go do talk about security talk about yes talk about security but if we if we fail if the rabbis fail to say let's 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 do more torah, study more torah let's do more mitzvahs, let's do more prayer, then we could spend all our time lobbying, and we could spend all the time on the guards and as it says in in, in the tanakh in the, in the in the in the prophets, if God does not guard a city the, the 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 watchmen are wasting their time if God is not guarding the city, the watchmen are wasting their time if God is not protecting us. We are wasting our time. And so what we're bringing out today with our new understanding of how the garment of our natural work works, when it means, what does it mean that God helps those who help themselves? It doesn't mean that God says, well, I can't help you. If you don't. What, what, what it, the deeper idea of that means is that God wants to send us his blessing because we've done the spiritual matter, let's say. But he says, I need you to do something so that I don't have to do miracles because today I'm not in miracle mode. He might still do miracles if, if we're really up a creek. But he prefers not to. I'll just say one thing. They, 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 they um, so, yeah, some of the, Um, for those who know me, they know I'm not an alcoholic. But sometimes I listen to alcoholics. It's interesting. I had twelve steps stuff. Interesting. But uh, well, one, one of these AA speakers was saying. It's fascinating to listen to this very spiritual yeah. group. Said uh, he said like this: God is so great. God is so powerful. God is so mighty and awesome that if you had an alcoholic and he has a cup and he's lifting up to his mouth, God can come there and smack that cup out of his mouth. But statistically, God doesn't do it. (laughs) Statistically, God doesn't do it. Yes, what was your question?
2: So so I have a question, but for me, this reading and everything you're saying, it's all, for for me, maybe I'm too simplistic. Yes. For me, it all has to do with the God consciousness. If you have faith and you love God, and God is a part of your life that he's a part of your life every second, 24 hours a day, all the time, no matter what you're doing. And so, yes, you know, I just I don't know Maybe this is, you know, you call it a garment or hiding. And also he he's God. So he's smart. He's so, so he wants yes. us to have reason. Uh, yes. So, yes, he wants us to be reasonable and faithful.
0: Right. And so, faithful. so so I hear what you're saying. I'm going to I'm going to say two things. Um, you're saying this all boils down to God concept. First of all, you're right. It does boil down to God consciousness. But uh, even myself, as a religious Jew, I'm not always God conscious. A lot of times we get, we get caught up in the work that we're doing. It's very easy to get caught up because we feel, and that is the truth, we feel we're doing the work and the, and the blessing comes from it. You know, I, I, I work my tachas off and I make the phone calls and I work on my leads and I make the sales. And it's very easy to start thinking. And this is why the prophets warned about this. And, you know, you're going to start thinking, look at the greatness that I've done. And so every, t- every once in a while, we need to take a break and step back. <laughs> Again, we're talking to human beings in this class, right? So there's, there's, uh, there's the highest level. Any, any, and, you know, and, and me as the rabbi, even knowing all this, I don't always live with it. So it's important to sit down and remind ourselves uh, very often these ideas. And to remind ourselves, and, and, and second of all, understanding it in this way, which not everybody may be thought of in this way before, even if they knew it, sometimes you have to really define and think about it. And sometimes I like saying splitting hairs really helps you understand something better. When you really understand it in this way, the body and the garment, uh, the real blessing is God's blessing. And the item that we're doing is just the garment through which the blessing can come. So God says, yeah, if you want to make $100,000 of my blessing, you got to work your toughness off and you got to make those phone calls. But the blessings actually coming from God, and so this also explains a lot of times when we say, "Well, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm running out of money. I can't give enough charity, or uh, I can't study today because uh, I have to work really hard." Uh, God obviously gives us some dispensations in study. He says, "Well, if you're really busy at a certain time, you have to work. You can you can study a little bit less." But again, it's it's all about. Realizing where is the real blessing coming from and making sure we don't cut out the spiritual things that we do in pursuit of the physical. When we remember in our mind that the physical is just allowing God a place to give us the blessing and the real blessing is coming from the mitzvahs that we do in the Torah that we study. Then we'll think twice before we cut out one of our spiritual pursuits. And also when we're faced with a moment where we have to, so to speak, give up on something physical uh, for spirituality when we have to say, I'm going to take off a day for work for Yom Kippur, I'm going to take off a day of work for Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to take off, this is going to take off that, Uh, remember what's really important, I'll give an even better example of this, many people here I know have mezuzahs in their homes, hopefully, but honestly, having, really having the proper mezuzahs in your homes is an expensive proposition, first of all, many people don't have mezuzahs in all their doors, number two, Um, even if you have mazuzas, you might've gotten the cheapest ones, which is okay in the beginning. But if you ever want to upgrade it's possible. Number three, mezuzahs go bad after a while. You should spend the money to check it. I just checked all the mezuzahs in my home. Uh, I had my brother-in-law home. He's a sofa. three of them I'm bringing to New York now the Florida weather makes them deteriorate. You know, you gotta check your mezuzahs every once in a while. So you say, well, I I already spent the $40 and now I need to put up 20 mezuzahs in my house because I have 20 doors. That's crazy. And you, you want me to put up nicer mezuzahs? You know, we only think in those terms when we think that the mezuzah is just, ah, we got to do the mitzvah, right? But when we think, no, the mezuzah is the real security to my house. The, the ADT is, is just allowing God's blessing. The gun in the safe is just allowing God's blessing. When we remember where the real blessing is coming from, we, we would spend as much money as we spend on our ammo as we spend on our mitzvahs. We spend as much money as we, as we, as we spend on the, on the, uh, ammo's expensive now, right? We spend as much, well, everything's expensive now. We would spend as much money on the, uh, on the uh, security system, as you know, and uh, what's the ring or whatever it is. Yeah, we, we, we would invest in all of those things. But again, we, it's always reminding ourselves what's really going on here. And so um, the same thing is, it can be said about Israel. Um, there's, you know, when, uh, you know, before the Six-Day War, the Rebbe went around. Maybe that's when the campaign of putting on film with people started. Um, was it around the Six-Day War and, and so on and so forth. So in conclusion, because we've reached our hour and 15 minutes. So in conclusion, uh, we're going to summarize over here what we said today. And by the way, I'm making a plug. I'm going to New York. If anybody feels that, um, if anybody feels they need any mezuzahs or you want to check mezuzahs, well, I'm checking is a little bit late for this time. I can ship them off though. If you, um, well, you can bring me your mezuzahs If anybody feels they want to buy mezuzahs, let me know. I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to buy more mezuzahs. Uh, if you need to know how many businesses you need in your house, I can do a zoom walkthrough with you. Um, so this is just a, 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 apropos to what I spoke a moment ago. If you want something practical from today, something that you can do to protect your home, putting them as out there. But, uh, let me summarize as, uh, as follows what we said today. We said, first, we set the stage and semitism is an important discussion because it's current, it's current. And so it's something we need to discuss. Um, then we uh, laid down the foundation that living in fear is exactly what the anti Semites want. And we cannot define our Judaism as fear based. And as uh, Barry Weiss said, our Judaism should not be anti anti Semitism. And that's not going to be a Judaism that's going to continue long term. That does not mean we ignore the anti Semitism. And so, first, we discussed uh, three meditations that we can do to help alleviate our fear. One was of the miraculous nature of the Jewish people. Number two was understanding that the anti-Semitism, although the incidents are higher, actual anti-Semitism is lower today. And I said, again, I'm not going to debate that. Either you take it or you leave it, but that, that is what it is. And again, anti-Semitism is not institutionalized today. Number three perspective and, and, and uh, the third meditation was uh, the understanding that God is always there with us. And hopefully that can give you some comfort. You know, that feeling of alone is always the hardest thing for anybody and uh the final thing we came to is so practically what do we do and the answer is practically we do put out the guards we do put out the security systems but we don't live in fear and we live as proud jews and why do we live as proud jews because we understand that the real blessing and the real protection is the spiritual we gave the example of the body and the garment and uh if we were to just lobby and pr and education and many many great things that people spoke about Uh, people brought up great ideas and I'm not an expert in how to, you know, the PR and how to deal with anti-Semitism and hopefully you knew that before you came to the class. But what I am telling you is, yes, we should do all those things and speak to the experts how we should lobby and where we should lobby and where we should educate and how we educate the world. Um, but we should never forget that just like when we work, the real blessing is coming from our spiritual pursuits, uh, the real protection from anti-Semitism it's coming from our prayers and our Torah and our mitzvos, And so let us make sure we walk away from tonight as proud Jews, and as uh, be proud of our Yiddishkeit, be proud of our Judaism. And it's important to do those things that make us Jewish and not to spend the time uh, fighting a PR war, but most importantly, living as proud Jews, because that's going to give us the blessing in our PR war. And I mentioned something practical. If people want to get mezuzahs, just an example um let me know i'm gonna be in New york and um if anybody wants additional readings or additional readings um in five minutes i'm gonna show the video that I promised at the end about uh how to um uh how to um what was it about how, yes even when times are difficult, how to have a positive outlook and how that helps you get through it i'm gonna take i'm gonna take questions right now any questions?